So it's now the fifth Sunday of the season we call Eastertide. We've been exploring the concept of becoming, right? Becoming in light of the truth of the confession that the Lord has risen indeed. Becoming the kinds of people who would make up the new kind of community that Jesus is still forming. Now this may or may not come as a surprise to you, but I spend what you might consider an inordinate amount of time thinking about a few very basic questions. What is church? What are we supposed to be doing? What is the point of a Sunday service? These kinds of questions are the things that I think about throughout my days, as I'm falling asleep, as I'm waking up in the morning and often losing sleep over. You might think, gee, PZ, shouldn't you know the answers to these kinds of questions? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> and to some degree, I do, right? I, I do in the sense that I know what I've been taught. I know what I have seen in various times and places and in various contexts. Uh, and I do in the sense that I think I have an idea of what might be the right answer in our own time and context. At least an answer that I find compelling enough to devote my life to it. But I also tend to think that my willingness to ask these sorts of questions and rethink what I think I know is actually why I do what I do. Our reading this morning reminded me of these questions about church all the more. Uh, And they have been heavier in my heart and mind uh, more than usual this week. This passage and these questions are, to me, a sort of call to return to what's called first principles. First principles. According to our good friend Wikipedia, a first principle is a basic proposition or assumption that cannot be deduced from any other proposition or assumption. The philosopher Aristotle defined it this way, the first basis from which a thing is known. For example, the metaphor Jesus uses in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. This is a first principle. It is a most basic proposition about who we are and how we are related to Christ. And then there are the other truths which may be deduced from this first core truth. Like the very next sentence, for example, in verse 5 in that chapter, those who abide in me And I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so on. Our reading today is a great example of this, in my opinion. John says in verse 8, God is love. That is a first principle. Specifically, John says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is is love. There is the first principle, the core truth, and the further truth that is deduced from it. John goes on further to add more. He says in verse 12, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 16, those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Verse 18, whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. In a chapter prior, in verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, he makes it very plain. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. All because 
what? That first principle. God is love. You can see, I hope, how important these first principles are. They set the course for everything else which may follow. As the Apostle James reminds us in his own letter, the tiny rudder steers the whole ship. Right? If we start from any other theological point, then the simplicity of God is love, without the usual buts that sometimes accompany that statement, we are bound to wind up with a theological system and or church which can justify some pretty heinous acts in the name of Jesus. As even a cursory reading of church history can make plain. Various Christian pastors and leaders have asked these same sorts of uh, first principles questions for years, really. But I fear the ways that many of us have come to gauge our successes as churches more closely resembles corporate America than it does the kingdom of God. Every pastor knows well, for example, the three B's. They are, in a sense, the first principles of modern church planting and growth. Bodies or butts, buildings, and budgets. Bodies, buildings, and budgets. Some folks out of fourth, baptisms. These represent key numbers or metrics that churches have used to measure their effectiveness or organizational health. How many people are coming? What are your current building projects? How many campuses do you have? How much money is coming in? And don't get me wrong here, like the rules and regulations we talked about last week, these sorts of numbers are not unimportant. They are important. It's really more a matter of what takes precedence or what we give priority. We too have fallen into this trap in the past and for years have desired to do things differently at Grace Church. Perhaps, we have asked, it is the case that the things that truly matter are not so easily quantifiable. As the three or four B's. Some years back, Pastor Devin and I sat down uh, together to craft a vision statement of sorts. About what we hoped Grace Church could be. But the thing about any good vision statement is that it has some quantifiable metric. And we were like, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) Again, it isn't that such metrics are necessarily bad. They can definitely help us know if we are successful or if we are achieving what we set out to achieve. They can give us an indication about the overall health of a thing. As I said, it's really more of a question of precedence, priority. Which metrics we allow to indicate to us whether or not we are doing well as a church. And when I say we here, I'm not just talking about leaders. I'm talking about all of you as well. This is your church. The metric that we chose, if you can really even call it that, was stories. Stories. We crafted the statement and made a big plaque out of it to put on the wall in the foyer out there. This vision, in my opinion, is still very much at the heart of who Grace Church is today. If you've never taken the time to look at those things out there, you should make it a priority today to stop and read that on your way out the door before you leave today. Maybe read it every time as you're about to enter the sanctuary. It's good to be consistently reminded of such things. I have lost sight of this narrative myself on more than one occasion over the years, and I need to be reminded of it with regularity. And if that's true of me, I know it's true of you. 
And if it's not, then you're pretty amazing, honestly. As I am always trying to teach you, we have already been formed by the narratives given to us by the world, by our families, our social context. And we must at once and always be continually reformed or renovated by the narratives of Jesus instead. Because that is apprenticeship. That is discipleship. So here's what that vision statement says. I think it'll be on the screen for you as well. The Bible is full of stories of a God who loves, loves to make old things new, broken things whole, and lost things found. You also have a story to tell, a journey to take, dreams to pursue, potential to realize, and people to inspire. Grace Church is an ongoing story of imperfect people growing together with Jesus to become a perfect picture of God's love and grace. Stories, we believed, were the real currency, what really mattered. But as I said earlier, the things that truly matter are not so easily quantifiable and are therefore a difficult metric to utilize to gauge much of anything, really. Even so, we decided that the frequency and the quality of the stories we were hearing from and about each other would tell us most of what we needed to know. Really, they're sort of a non-metric stories. A way of saying, hey, we know what the culture says we should value, bodies, buildings, and budgets, but we are choosing to value people instead. Just exactly as they are in all their beautiful and glorious imperfections. Because this is what we believe Jesus does. Like one of Pastor Larry's favorite mantras, this is the perfect place for imperfect people. Or as some of you have come to say over the years, Grace Church is like the island of misfit toys. I love this analogy so much. The people who tend to find a home here generally have a hard time fitting in other places. And if this is true, then I am probably chief misfit in more than just my title. I've never really fit in well other places. And I think that's at least partially due to the nature of the questions I mentioned earlier and my willingness to ask them over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Those kinds of questions for most people can be scary. They're scary to me too. Because all at once they admit, hey, what if we're wrong? (laughs) What if there's a better way? What if, what if, what if, what if, without ever really providing any concrete answers? Which is what so many of us think we so desperately need. Answers. Clarity. Because in these, we believe we will find purpose. Yeah? But you won't. Like the certainty we so desperately seek itself, this too is myth. In such things, you will only find temporary reprieve from the emotional and cognitive dissonance. It is fleeting. 
And until you can learn to view the questions themselves differently, such answers and clarity will merely hold you over until the questions come once again bubbling to the surface. We all deal with these sorts of uncertainties in various ways, some healthier and some more honest than others. But from the beginning, it has been our way of life to embrace these things, these uncertainties, these questions. No, answers and clarity are not what we need, but merely what we want. And often we humans make the grave mistake of confusing those two things, our needs and wants. Do you see it? The wrestling. (laughs) The questioning. The journey itself. That is the destination. The purpose. The stories we hear and tell along the way. That is the point. As I said, the people who tend to find a home here at Grace Church uh, usually have a hard time fitting in other places. And the also, or the opposite rather, also tends to be true. The folks who easily fit in other places tend to have a harder time finding a home here. Usually the people who fit in here the most are the people, the misfits themselves and those who have a heart for them. Amen. And I think a lot of this reality has to do with the kinds of expectations that we bring with us. Perhaps baggage is a better word. Often, the folks who find a home here at Grace, they've experienced one or more train wrecks in their life. And these sorts of experiences tend to lead to lots and lots of questions. Often with rather unsatisfying answers. So on the opposite wall, this side, in the foyer, we put up another set of plaques identifying what we see as our core values. If the vision statement is our what, those values are our how. Again, I recommend making a habit of reviewing those with regularity. It's why we put them out there. These are what you might call Grace Church's first principles. Here's what they say. Number one, we are a community of balance. This to me carries multiple meanings, but primarily we seek to live lives of balance in our relationships to God, self, others, and the meaningful work that we do. And also in the holistic sense, factoring in all of who we are. Heart, mind, soul, body, social context into our formation. Number two, we are real people following Jesus. This is important. It is both a call to authenticity and a recognition that such a call invites a hefty bit of messiness. Because people, especially misfit toys, are messy creatures. But we are united around our desire and our intention to try 
to follow in the footsteps of the God-man Jesus, the embodiment of the God who is love. Number three, we are a refuge. You, in all your authentic and beautiful mess, are welcome and accepted here. Just as you are, you are safe. And to this point, I want to add, this does not mean you will not sometimes be triggered. You probably will be. I know I am, frequently. But it does mean that this is a safe place for that to occur. You are okay. You are blessed. You are seen. You are safe. Number four, we are unafraid to dream, think, or risk. In other words, we're not afraid to ask those what-if questions. We don't check our brains at the door. We're not afraid to fail. We've often said Grace Church is a church for the curious, bored, and discouraged. The people who have asked those hard questions, who deconstruct and have been dissatisfied with the pat answers they received. In 2014, our first year as Grace Church... There was an ad campaign run by a group of atheists around Christmas time that said things like, Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. And you know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. We responded to this by spending $900 to run a message on the same billboard for two weeks that said simply, Questions, doubts, curiosities, all welcome at Grace Church. You wouldn't think such a simple statement of affirmation and acceptance would cause such a ruckus, but there were dozens of stories pinned at the national level about our little billboard and the message it sent, an invitation to conversation rather than the usual outrage. There was a fair bit of backlash too, mind you, and oddly, most of that came from other Christians, so far as I could tell. If you are here this morning, or you happen to be watching online later and you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. We are not afraid of your questions. We're not afraid of your doubts, your curiosities, your wrestle, your deconstruction. In fact, we like it a lot. Finally, number five, we are a work in progress. This one's my favorite. When we were first thinking of what to call Grace Church, my submission was church in progress. I made a logo for it and everything. To me, this one gets to the heart of the matter. We have not arrived. We may never arrive. But we are always arriving. We are, both individually and collectively, a work in progress. Being formed and reformed constantly. We are at once and always going further up and further in, to borrow from C.S. Lewis, toward the heart of God in this vulnerable journey into the unknown. I'll close with this today. So how do I answer those questions we started with? As an Enneagram type 5, I, I'm not much for shoulds, oughts, and musts. You know, uh, hey, you should do X, Y, Z. I'm like, eh. Hey, but this is the way we have to do it. Eh. 
But about these questions, I have a fairly clear picture. I have alluded to this multiple times in the past several months, but I want to make it as plain as possible. I believe church is the collection of people devoted to learning to do the kinds of things Jesus did and said to do together. In short, being and making disciples. And I believe the point of gathering together for church on Sundays, the services, is simply this. We remind each other of who we are and how we became a people in light of the confession that the Lord has risen indeed and what that may mean we should be about in the other 167 hours of the week. Because that's where real life happens. That's where it matters. That's where character is both formed and demonstrated. What we learn here, we apply out there as we are being and making disciples. In summary, I'm allowed to summarize myself, right? Coming to church is not the point of coming to church. The point is what you do out there, away from church. The point is, as I've said many times, learning what it may look like to live your life as though Jesus were living your life. With your wife or husband or kids and job, your house in your neighborhood. In other words, how can I do the things I already do, but in a cruciform sort of way? In a way that looks like Jesus. In a way that demonstrates that I am abiding in the God who is loved. Because he loves you. Because he is for you. Because God is love. How can I parent my kids in light of this truth? This first principle. How can we participate in community activities or sports or whatever in light of this truth? How can I do my job in light of this truth? What does it mean for me to be a boss or an employee or a staff member or whatever in light of this truth? How can I be a friend in light of this truth? How can we serve our community in light of this truth? And whatever other question you can think of, these insights and stories come from you as you experiment with embracing this truth more and more in the rest of your life, the other 167 hours, your real life. Here, the Sunday service is where we come to share those stories and encourage one another to go and do likewise. I'll likely elaborate on that some more on the other side of Pentecost Sunday in four weeks. I will be back up here on May 30th, the first Sunday after Pentecost. It's called Trinity Sunday, and I'm going to have to preach on on my birthday. But for the next three weeks, we've got some really special things in store for you. Uh, May is going to be really awesome.